Dallas itself is a, is a fantastic LGBTQ plus destination. Regionally, we, we're it. I mean, we've got folks who come in, we're able to drive in specifically for our Pride events. And we're, we're very fortunate, you know, in Dallas, we've got a lot of Pride happening. So I don't know if folks know this, but Dallas has, at one time, it was the fifth largest LGBTQ plus population in the country. It may have wavered a little bit between five and six, but either way, you know, we've got a huge LGBTQ plus community here and it shows. In 2017, I had it all, but it was a world built on a secret that I didn't want to deal with and could no longer contain. And that's when it all came crashing down. You can't stay in the closet when the floor gives way. This is Falling Out. Happy Pride, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Falling Out. Joining me across the table is my fabulous co-host, Coleman Charles. Coleman. Happy Pride, everyone. As this part of our Pride series, we are really excited to focus on Dallas. If you are listening to this podcast in another country, in another state, we've mentioned this before, but we are housed in Dallas, Texas. Now, I know that term Texas, especially in the recent headlines with some of the things coming out of our governor's office and in our state legislature, that that can be a scary thing for some people. Some people look at Texas as very backward, very anti-LGBT, and not a friendly place for our community. But... I would disagree with that. And especially here in urban centers like Dallas, Texas, which has a very vibrant LGBTQ community. I used to always kind of say Dallas was the gay jewel of the South. Today on the show, we're going to be focusing on Dallas and what one of the organizations Visit Dallas does for the LGBTQ community and in marketing Dallas overall. Gary Sanchez is currently serving as the Senior Director of Community Impact, Equity, and Public Affairs at Visit Dallas. In this role, Gary is responsible for developing and fostering relationships with community partner stakeholders, elected officials, Chamber of Commerce, state and national associations as they relate to hospitality and the travel tourism industry. This is not lost on the LGBTQ community. Additionally, he leads the organization's government affairs and works with local, state, and national associations to protect and advocate for the policy directly related to keeping Texas a welcoming destination for all. His experience includes more than 12 years at the city of Dallas, including the Dallas Zoo, the Office of Arts and Cultures, and the Office of the Mayor and City Council. Gary is currently the chair of North Texas LGBT Chamber of Commerce and serves on the board of directors at the Dallas Regional Chamber and 24-Hour Dallas. In September 2021, he was appointed as a co-chair of the Dallas Mayor's Anti-Hate Advisory Council. Please join me in welcoming for this special Pride edition, Gary Sanchez. Howdy. How's it going? Thanks for coming on today. I just want to kind of start by getting a little bit of your background, talk about your story. Uh, we always like to give our guests an opportunity to kind of talk about their coming out story and sure. what brought them to this place in life. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me on the show. And so, uh, yes, I'm Gary Sanchez. Actually, my real name is Gerardo, Gerardo Javier, but I've gone by Gary pretty much since birth. But I'm originally from Laredo, Texas, born and raised. And if no one knows where that's at. Uh, I know where Laredo is. You do? <laughs> I have family in Laredo. It's, have you been there? Yes. Okay. Nice place to visit, but nice place to visit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Place to see family. It's a great place to be from, and it's a nice place to visit. Yeah, and we'll leave it at that. But yes, born and raised in Laredo. So if, if no one knows where that's at, it's where I thirty five ends. And if you don't 
get off of I-35, you end up on a bridge on the on the way to Mexico. And so born and raised there and uh, graduated high school in 1992, if I'm dating myself. I, I graduated in 1992. Okay. So we're, we're okay. Okay. We're at the same same. Coleman? Day. We don't even want to know. Okay. <laughs> I don't even want to know. But yeah, so went to, uh, went to junior high school. I'm sorry, excuse me. Went to junior college there for a couple of semesters, then transferred to college in San Antonio. So it was my first time living out of the house and being away from home and setting my own hours and not having anybody overlook what I was doing. And so it was a fun time and it was a challenging time, you know, balancing college plus coming out and my relationship, my first relationship. Two semesters in, I got onto scholastic probation for not making the grades. And then the next semester I was academically dismissed. And so I had no other choice but to move back home. And so throughout all of this, my parents were asking me what's going on and, you know, it's what your grades and we're giving you money and your money's disappearing. Well, it was disappearing because I was supporting myself and at that time, my boyfriend. When I went back home, they were relieved that I was coming back home because they thought I was on drugs. <laughs> and so not a very rom-com kind of coming out, but you know, I was like, no, I'm not on drugs. I'm just gay. And that was pretty much it. Surprisingly, my dad took it a lot better than my mom. My dad was in the military, so I think he probably had some other friends who were closeted or, or, or gay. My mom was just in denial for a long time, but eventually she came around. And before you knew it, we were talking about boyfriends and stuff like that. So it was cool. Was that due to religious upbringing or? No, not really. You know, again, the border. So pretty right. much everybody's Catholic. Yeah. We weren't a very religious family, still not. But I think it was just, you know, I'm the youngest of three. And, you know, they had a certain expectation of what I was going to become. I had an expectation of what I was going to become. I was going to be a doctor, hence studying biology at UTSA. I'm not a doctor now, so don't worry <laughs> about that. But uh, yeah, I think just the, the expectation and realizing that that expectation would have become reality. After that, everybody was extremely, all of my, you know, my sister, my brother, my grandparents, everybody was wonderful about it. How do you get here? From that moment, what even gets you here? So this is where it becomes a rom-com of sorts. <laughs> Went back to Laredo, got enrolled into a college there, made the grades, got back into UTSA, made the dean's list, happy to say. And in my junior year, I came up to Dallas for the 4th of July weekend. A, a good friend of mine had to buy one, get one on Southwest Airlines. Came up and we stayed with some friends in Oak Lawn. These friends had just moved into a new apartment. Somebody by the name of Robert had helped them move into that apartment. And so... That weekend, that Saturday, Robert came over to check out the apartment. So I met Robert then, just briefly. Thought he was cute. And that was it. Went back to San Antonio. And then two weeks later, I'm out at the Bonham Exchange in San Antonio. <laughs> and who walks in but that Robert. Uh, he was in San Antonio. So for the next year, or a little bit more than a year, Robert flew down. He works for a major airline. So he flew down to San Antonio pretty much every weekend. So that was a good way for us to start getting to know each other little by little. And when I graduated in May of 1998, I ended up moving up here. It just made sense for me to move to Dallas since Robert was already established here. And here we are. When you were in school, were you kind of looking towards that marketing or PR kind of work? Or you mentioned the med school yeah. doctor thing. So how does that come about? Good story. Yeah. So um, ever since I was three, I, you know, I said, I'm going to be a doctor. And everybody loved it. My adolescence, that was the story. I'm going to be a doctor. And so even though I had interest in other things besides medicine, but I went ahead and pursued medicine at UTSA. And again, after going in and out of school and getting back into school, I realized it was just the best thing for me to just pursue that degree in biology, but not really utilize it moving forward. So it's a long journey. This is not a long program, but it's a great story actually. So graduated the degree in biology, moved to Dallas. My first real job was an activities director 
at an assisted living and dementia care facility, which for a 23 year old was amazing. All right. Loved it. I wanted to pursue my, you know, my degree in biology. And so I ended up interviewing at a place called the Science Place at Fair Park, which is no longer there. Oh my gosh, I love this. You remember that place? place. <laughs> it's no longer there, but I the know. building's still there. So I got the job. The senior housing place, they didn't want me to leave. And they say, well, we have an opening in marketing. Would you be interested in, in marketing the community? And so it came with a raise. So I said, sure, you know, absolutely. And I love the residents and I loved who I work with. So I did marketing and senior housing for about a year and a half. Again, the in, inside of me wanted to do something with biology. And so I actually ended up getting a job at the Dallas Zoo in 2001. Worked in education there for a couple of years and then moved up the ladder, ended up moving into operations and management. So I did that for a while. The zoo privatized in 2009. And at the time, I decided to stay with the city instead of going over to the private sector. I landed at the Office of Cultural Affairs, which is now called the Office of Arts and Culture. And so I opened and I managed the Oak Cliff Cultural Center, which was fantastic on Jefferson Boulevard. Shortly after that, I ended up going to work for the mayor and city council office as an assistant to one of the council members. I took that job because I knew it would open doors for me. And one of the very first events I did with a council member was a launch of, of a product for McDonald's. And so I met these folks who work for an ad agency that worked that represented McDonald's in Greater North Texas. And so in 2013, I ended up jumping ship from the city and joining this ad agency. Did PR, marketing PR, communications for three and a half years, and then Visit Dallas came calling, and that's how I ended up at Visit Dallas in 2017. When a lot of people, especially around the country, around the world, think of Dallas, obviously the first point of reference is going back to the 1980s television show. That's a lot of people's reference point for Dallas. For younger people, it may be the sports teams, you know, Dallas Mavericks, Dallas Stars, Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. The Dallas yeah. Cowboys cheerleaders. <laughs> Being in this red state, yep. a lot of people don't see Dallas as anything particularly LGBT. Right. So when you joined Visit Dallas, like what was the task there and how do you kind of spin and sell that and really highlight probably even things I don't know about Dallas that connect to the LGBT community. Well, thank you, Brian, for bringing that up because it's quite a compelling story to tell. Again, I did join Visit Dallas in 2017. And so for folks who may not know what Visit Dallas is, Visit Dallas is the official marketing arm or the marketing agency for the city of Dallas. We're not city of Dallas employees, but we have a contract with the city of Dallas. And so what we do is we market the city for meetings, conventions, sporting events, major sporting events, and as a a leisure destination. And so specifically when I joined Visit Dallas in 2017, I joined with a very targeted goal, which was to defeat the bathroom bill. Our then CEO of Visit Dallas saw what was happening in North Carolina with their HB2. They passed a bathroom bill overnight and knew that it would be coming to Texas, most especially with the leadership that we had at the time, the state leadership we had at the time. And so from January through August 2017, we spent pretty much every week at the state capitol fighting back the bathroom bill, bathroom bills, I should say. We defeated it not once, but twice. We defeated it in, during the regular session. And then the governor called it back for a special session. It was one of 20 priorities for the special session, and we beat it again. And we didn't do it alone. Visit Dallas was on the, you know, on the front lines fighting back on this because not only is it bad for business, but it was just the right thing to do. We were successful in doing that. And, you know, again, we didn't do it alone. We, it took quite a bit of, of work with folks, not only in, in, in Dallas itself, but throughout the state. It took all of the chambers of commerce from the area. 
It took major corporations in Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, El Paso. And so it, it sent a very strong message that we weren't going to tolerate this type of unnecessary and harmful legislation. We just had an episode talking about how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our community when it comes to these types of legislations? Like, first of all, I didn't know that, you know, Visit Dallas was part of this initiative. So, you know, thank you first and foremost. So what did that look like? Did you call other chambers of commerce? Like, was it phone calls? Was it, you know, getting people to sign up for something? I mean, obviously you went down to the state capitol. I'm assuming you were there in the Texas legislature calling Congress people. I mean, can you, can you speak a little bit more to that? Well, let me tell you this. I've never walked so much in my life than walking through the halls of the state capitol. It entailed all of that and a lot more. So it took a lot of one-on-one meetings with the Dallas delegation, of course. Now, we're fortunate in Dallas that most of our delegation gets it, right? Most of them do. But you go outside of Dallas and it's a little different. It took lots of strategic meetings with key members of the House. I got to say, when it comes to the Senate, you know, I mean, we will fight at the Senate, but it's it's a it's it's a very different environment over there. The House is a little bit more it's it's easier to navigate members of the House. But back then, it was strategically working with the chairman of the State Affairs Committee and then with the then Speaker of the House, Joe Strauss. If it were not for those two gentlemen, I don't know if it would have passed or not. Uh, thankfully, it didn't. But it was really those were two key individuals at the legislature who. Who stopped this from happening but i mean it took lots of outreach to businesses major corporations ceos building a strong allyship with those business partners houston really stepped up when it came to the special session lots of the oil energy and gas refineries really stepped up and sent a joint letter to to the governor that this was bad and so it took all of that to defeat it every single well, let me let me stop here and just say, you know, you know, Visit Dallas is a nonpartisan organization, right. right? We're not. And so, you know, we just we just want people to come to Dallas and have a good time right. and, and spend their, their their dollars here, right? But when it came to meeting with members of the Republican the Republican members of the House, we heard the same thing over and over and over again. We don't want to vote on this. We don't need it. We know we don't need it, but if it hits the House floor, we may have to vote for it. Because if we don't, we may get an opponent in the primary and and, and we don't want that basically compelled us to provide a strong business case. You know, this is the, these are the meetings, conventions, sporting events. They're going to leave. They're going to leave. And this is how the state's going to suffer if all of these meetings and conventions leave. You know, and of course that trickles down to jobs, uh, specifically jobs in hospitality and the service industry. Thankfully, there was the information that we needed to, that they needed to feel comfortable in voting the way they did. I want to touch on this and I I don't want to stay here because I know there's other things we want to get to today. But how has that climate changed? Because obviously here we are in 2022. We're seeing things from the governor and the and the attorney general making statements that are targeting trans kids. There's been still bills that have popped up with like the sports bill in, in the legislature. What's changed? Because again, I think it's the same thing. It's not necessarily good for business. Mm-hmm. I f- see it as political posturing. I know it's an election year. What's the difference? How, why why have those bills, some of the, those gone through? Or why is there this continual barrage? I'm thinking back to like what we recently saw in Florida with the Don't Say Gay bill and how their particular governor just kind of gave the middle finger to a very large corporation. Yeah. And how now that's become a political thing. So, I mean, is that a new strategy where now we don't care what the corporations think? We don't care what business does. We're going to do our own thing because of this new political environment? Or, or wh- how do you see that impacting Dallas? I, I think you bring up a very good point, several good points. You know, it used to be 
where one party was definitely the business party, and that seems not to be the case anymore. You know, I think it's wonderful when businesses speak up and speak out and say, you know, this is, this is we're not going to tolerate this, but we need to see action, you know, and I think we really need to hold those businesses, those CEOs, those corporations accountable. It's like, words are wonderful, but we need to see action here. To answer your question of what has changed in the political climate, it's gotten a little bit more aggressive, by all means. You were really expecting 2021 to be a year when we're going to be proactive. You know, there was a state representative, Jessica Jessica Gonzalez from the Dallas area, introduced a statewide, a comprehensive non-discrimination ordinance. Because Texas doesn't have one, my friends. You know, it it is still legal in Texas to be fired if if you identify as LGBTQ+. So let's just put that out there right now. We're fortunate in Dallas. Many of the major cities do have a non-discrimination ordinance. I am very proud to say that Dallas has one of the more robust ones. But it is still technically legal in Texas to be fired if you if you identify as LGBTQ+. So Jessica Gonzalez filed a, a comprehensive non-discrimination ordinance. We knew it wouldn't gain that much traction, but that's how things happen in state legislature. You introduce it, and then you, know, you get co-authors, and then you see how much traction it gets. Then you bring it back the next legislative year. So we were ex- really expecting this year to be the proactive year when we get some good things done, you know, good things done and not necessarily be fighting in the trenches. And it was the complete opposite. We were getting attacked from every single corner on every single issue you can imagine. Believe it or not, religious refusal is still a big thing. We're so wrapped up in 2017 with a, that, with a bathroom bill that we didn't see one bill getting through. And that's that was House Bill 3859, which allows for state-funded foster and adoption care agencies to refuse services on deeply held religious beliefs. That got through. And we have felt that impact in Texas, specifically in Dallas, because California issued a travel ban for all state employees that couldn't travel to Texas on the state's dime if because of this passed. And in an ironic turn of events, Texas then sued California for that travel ban, which was then thrown out of court. Again, to answer your question, as far as the climate change, it's gotten a little bit more aggressive. We're not defeated. We're going to keep on fighting back. And, you know, we really need folks to to organize and mobilize and, you know, speak with your vote. We've got an important election coming up in November. And regardless of the outcome of that, we'll be back at the state legislature in 2023, fighting to keep Texas and specifically Dallas a welcoming destination for all. I think, you know, not only speak with your vote, but pride and everything, you know, with all these corporations saying that they're supporting us, we are therefore supporting them with our dollars. It's again, make sure they're walking the walk that they're talking. Yeah, absolutely. And you brought up pride. Dallas itself is a, is a fantastic LGBTQ plus destination. You know, regionally, we, we're it, you know, I mean, we've got folks who come in, who are able to drive in specifically uh, for our pride events. And we're, we're very fortunate. You know, in Dallas, we've got a lot of pride happening, right? It goes, so much that it goes beyond June. So, you know, because we have Dallas Pride. And then uh, we also have the Dallas Arts District Block Party Pride. We have Dallas Southern Pride recurring. And then in September, we have Latino Pride. So, you know, all great events. And so, you know, Dallas, I don't know if folks know this, but Dallas has, at one time, it was the fifth largest LGBTQ plus destination or population in the country. It may have wavered a little bit between five and six. But either way, you know, we've got a huge LGBTQ plus community here and it shows. And, you know, when, when folks come here for business or for, for leisure, we like to show them a good time. You know, we want to make sure that they feel comfortable here. You know, the image of Dallas itself, we spoke about that a little bit earlier. Yes, a lot of people think about the J.R. Ewing and I think about Bobby Ewing, but that's just me. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that, so, it's the shower scene, isn't it? Oh, of course. 
<laughs> As uh, Coleman goes, what are you guys talking about? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and that's, that's a fun part of our history, right? And, you know, believe it or not, I've had the opportunity to travel outside of the country, travel to Europe specifically, to market Dallas. And it's really interesting to to learn, uh, you know, what people think about the what people <laughs> I can think only about this. Imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the the time, the, the the few times that I've had the opportunity, it was uh, in 2018. So you know, we were still feeling the effects of the 2016 election, and uh, I just remember, you know, we were presenting, and the, and this was in Paris, and the whole room was quiet, like nobody knew what to say. All right. And then, you know, we said, well, you know, Texas may be red, but Dallas is a little, you know, a little island of blue. And, you know, this is how the boat went in Dallas. And everybody just kind of relaxed. You can just feel the tension <laughs> released from everybody's shoulders and everybody relaxed. And then people started talking about, you know, you know, asking questions and, you know, which is gives us the opportunity to really, really talk about the great things of the city. And, you know, again, regionally, we're, we're a huge hub. But it's really interesting, too, though, because... Several years ago, you know, we were always doing studies of folks, you know, what they think about the, the Dallas as a city. And, you know, regionally, again, we're, we're sort of the cultural hub, the big city. But then as you get further and further, in, you know, away towards the east and west coast, people start thinking about, you know, okay, well, everybody wears a cowboy hat and everybody has an oil well and everybody drives trucks and, right, you know. Right, to school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting, you know, to, to hear other people's perspectives. It may not help that in the gay community, two of our largest bars are named after two characters from that show yeah. in JR's and Sue Ellen's. Yep. And I, I, even for our younger gays, you probably don't realize that reference. Google it, figure it out. But those are named after two characters from the Dallas television show. Yep. Yep. Is that Absolutely. on purpose? Yes. That... Of course it's on yes. purpose. I don't know. Of course it's, it's on purpose. It's one of those where it's like, why is McDonald's called McDonald's? I don't know. I guess there's a guy named McDonald's. Uh, no. I, you know, I would question it if it wasn't both of them. But they were married characters in the in the television show. So the fact that the bars are connected to each other, I think, just oh, adds that's yeah. cute. Yeah. Adds that as well. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned Sue Ellen specifically. I mean, Sue Ellen's is one of the only, one of the very few standing lesbian bars in the country. And we're very proud of that here here in the city. And so, you know, any opportunity we get, we're always marketing the city as a destination. You know, no matter what you want to do. You know, that's the great thing about it. Again, we have a very large LGBTQ population. So what does that mean? I mean, that means it's not just about going out to the bars and, you know, which is great. I mean, if, if folks want to do that, that's wonderful. But it means you're going to have sports. You're going to have organizations. You're going to have philanthropy. You're going to have elected officials. You're going to have people everywhere you look. There's going to be some element of somebody who identifies like you do. And I think that what makes that's what really makes Dallas a, a true special place. As a therapist, a lot of times I, I do get people coming into my office, coming from other states, California for one, who feel like they're in an LGBT wasteland because they've come to Texas. And sometimes that's even the anxiety that we sometimes deal with. And I remember often telling people, yeah, Dallas is the number five or six largest LGBT population in the nation. And they just look at me shocked and stunned because it doesn't fit this red narrative that I think the state of Texas likes to portray. So for you as a marketer, how do you market that? I mean, even like when you're talking about going to France or even outside of Dallas, it's like, well, this could be a tricky market to really push Dallas as an LGBT destination. So like, what, what do we have here in Dallas? And how do you, what's the process for you to really market and get that message out there? Well, it's strategic, first and foremost. We want to see what are the perceptions of Dallas as a destination specifically. 
for the LGBTQ plus traveler, right? And then utilizing that information to formulate our marketing campaigns. And then, you know, if we're going to do any sort of activation outside of the city, you know, where we would go. So we've had the opportunity as Visit Dallas to go market Dallas in areas like Aspen Gay Ski Week. We go there and market Dallas as a destination. As a destination. In 2018, we had a great mission to West Hollywood. That was that was fantastic. We re- I, I was there. Yes, you were you there. Can't That's see it, but he pointed at me. I was yeah. at that event. Yeah, and it was L.A. West Hollywood, and it was it was great because you know during the process, you know, we realized that there's lots of similarities between West Hollywood and Dallas. Yeah, lots of similarities, and it's not just you know the vibrant bar scene, right? But it's philanthropy, it's arts and culture. Uh, they're elected officials. We had the opportunity to have dinner with former Mayor Abby Land. And so, you know, there were some synergies occurring that we really wanted to, you know, create sort of sister brother cities, right? That just never kind of launched. But uh, we've also had the opportunity to market Dallas in uh, P-Town, in Provincetown. Dallas has, I mean, you, you mentioned pride earlier as far as people coming. I mean, I've, I've got friends who, because of the way that this was obviously back when Dallas Pride was in September, they would strategically work their calendar to go, okay, we're all going to Dallas Pride. Yeah. Because it's in September and we've already done L.A. Pride, we've already done New York, we've gone to San Francisco, so now we can come to Dallas. And it seemed like there was this huge influx of people coming to the city. I can't even imagine the the marketing dollars or the you know the the spending dollars that people brought into the city yeah. during Pride. Absolutely, absolutely. I know there's some a movement to bring it back to take it from June back to mm-hmm. September and. I'm neutral on that, you know, as long as it's a good time. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, visit Dallas again. We we are, you know, very proud to support all the pride celebrations throughout the city. A couple of years ago, we had a float, an amazing float, I should say. Yes, it was fabulous. It was go down, you know, go down the parade route. And, you know, it was it was wonderful for, you know, for, for folks, especially folks who live here, to see that, you know, visit Dallas would support, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so it was shortly after the parade where... I got a random email and it was from an adolescent, somebody who was, I don't know, 17, 18, closeted, didn't know what to do, saw our Visit Dallas float and just thought, you know, I was going to reach out to them. And so found us on the website and there's a way for folks to contact us through the website and just reached out and said, I just need, I need help. I need help. And so, you know, we put them in contact with the right people. It makes me feel very proud to work for an agency, to work for an organization that is very proud of our LGBTQ plus community and just has a presence. Well, representation and visibility matter. Yeah. And, and especially from a mental health piece, you know, again, I was referencing people I've talked to about Dallas. It's just, I wish I could somehow convey through audio here the, the look on someone's face when they suddenly realize I'm not in the desert, I'm not alone, the isolation, the abandonment, all those things that some people feel when they're moving into Texas because of the national conversations that we've seen in the political realm and the attacks and the targets and people think, oh no, I'm in trouble here. I know when I found the Dallas gay community and really began being involved, it was really the first time that I said, oh, I, I can be myself here. You know, I can, I, can, I can enjoy things, I can like things. I mean, it, it was just such, such a weird experience to be surrounded by people. You know, we, we talked about gay marriage, Probably one of my favorite nights was the, when the Supreme Court passed gay marriage. And it may have been the most joyful night I've ever experienced in the gay community or down in, in Oakland in that area of, of Dallas. 
there was just so much joy, so much relief and so much excitement that, oh, wow, we matter. And so like being in a community during that time was mind blowing. And I'll never forget that night. I'll never forget it. And it's like, thank God we have that kind of community in Dallas that we have still a gayborhood because I think we see that erasing or disappearing in a lot of cities around the nation. I'll say, you know, as someone that grew up here, I grew up in like Highlands and it's, I did not feel that Dallas was necessarily the most gay friendly city growing up. <laughs> and so luckily coming out and again, finding that community coming down the neighborhood, I say, I used to say, you know, large groups of gay people give me a little bit of anxiety because I'm just not used to it, you know? So it's, it's definitely great to see that Dallas has made great strides to really support its community and again, be visible. Yep, absolutely. And if I may for just a minute, I'll just talk about other things that a lot of people may not know about. It is not the glitz and the glamour of being out on the strip or, or anywhere else. But when it comes to policy, Dallas has it going on. I mean, again, we have one of the most robust non-discrimination ordinances in, of any city in the United States. It's been an evolution, but an evolution to make it even better. It's, again, it's probably one of the most inclusive ones that we have around. And not only that, but, you know, the Dallas Police Department has an LGBTQ plus uh, liaison officer has for a long time. This, God, from the late 90s. I mean, it's that, that role has, you know, people have come and gone, officers have come and gone. But, you know, it's it's that just demonstrates the commitment that the city of Dallas, not its residents, but that its, its leaders, its elected officials, its leaders over at City Hall are committed to making sure that Dallas is an inclusive community. Yeah, I think that's great. And it's been influential on other North Texas communities. Since Dallas has passed its non-discrimination ordinances, again, has evolved it for the better. You know, Arlington has passed one. Plano has passed one. Others, and I don't want to mention others that are incorrect, but it's definitely that the influence of Dallas has had on its neighboring communities has been influential, has been quite a bit. I'll give you an opportunity here to kind of do a little bit of your marketing pitch, especially for our listeners who don't know what Dallas has to offer. Like if someone was to contact your office or, or talk to you, whether they're in Europe or they're in Seattle or wherever, what are those marketing key points about the LGBT community that you usually share? Or, you know, what are... What are the things that make Dallas unique in that regard? There's a lot. There's a lot. So, you know, for more information, go to visit Dallas.com. But uh, just to kind of, you know, point out a couple of highlights here, you know, we've talked about the strip. So, you know, Cedar Springs Road has, you know, it's, it's not just clubs, but it's shops and it's restaurants. Of course, we have a thriving arts and cultural scene. We have the largest arts district of anywhere in the world, which is official now, we can officially say that, uh, in the acreage that it encompasses. And so, in a court that, of course, that includes the Dallas Museum of Art, it includes AT&T Performing Arts Center, all the facilities within that, it, it includes the National Sculpture Center and uh, the Crow Collection of Asian Art, among others. And then, you know, Dallas is very proud of its neighborhoods. Of course, you know, the neighborhood, as they say, is Oak Lawn, uh, but then we also have Uptown, we have Bishop Arts District, we have Lake Highlands, uh, we had the White Rock Lake area, a cliff, anywhere you turn and there's somewhere to go and somewhere to, something to do. And of course, the food scene, right? I mean, you know, at all price ranges from, you know, from the little stands for tacos to a restaurant where you have to make a reservation five months in advance because it's, it's just that popular to get into. The price range, of course, is for, you know, for anybody, for any market. And the great thing, too, is that anywhere, anyone from anywhere in the world can get here almost directly. Uh, we're very fortunate to have two fantastic airports, uh, DFW International Airport and Love Field. And so whether you're traveling domestically or internationally, 
um, chances are you can get here directly. And so that has really helped boost Dallas as a destination for the LGBTQ traveler. Anyone coming from anywhere in the world can just, you know, when they, when they land here or when they drive here, just know that they're going to be welcomed for who they are. I think that's something I'm always surprised at when people are here visiting or I'm either traveling and, you know, tell people I'm from Texas, from Dallas specifically. They're like, people are so welcoming. You know, they're so friendly. And I was like, I don't know if it's that Southern hospitality or what have you, but you always feel a little proud of your hometown. Yeah. We like to say we celebrate our heritage and hospitality. Yeah. So, and it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. Oh, and the shopping. How oh, can yeah. we forget about How the shopping? How can we forget about the shopping? My gosh, that's what I'm going to do later today. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, that's that's wonderful. Again, just a variety. I mean, you know, and it's just, I think that's what makes this city so great. It's that, you know, matter, it can be as big or as small as you want it to be. And th- we have something for everyone. I would be remiss if I didn't include this in, the, in the, today's episode. I want to talk a little bit about just some of the anti-hate, the advisory board that you're you've recently taken a board seat on. Can you kind of tell us? Sure. Because I think that's important too, to create this environment of welcoming. It's important that we are involved at that, that local political level. And it seems like there's a lot going on that people may miss. No, thank you for bringing that up. And so in addition to my role at Visit Dallas, I'm also the chair of the North Texas LGBT Chamber of Commerce. Been the chair, chair there for about a year and a half. As the chair of the LGBT Chamber of Commerce, Mayor Johnson asked that I be one of four co-chairs for his Mayor's Anti-Hate Advisory Council. So it include, the other co-chairs include representatives from uh, from the business community, from the faith community, and then also uh, from the Jewish community. And so I was very proud to, to serve in that capacity. And what we are is we are uh, an advisory group for the mayor. It consists of 17 folks, from, again, from from different aspects of, of, uh, of, the commu- of the community. No one ever wants a hate act or much less a hate crime to occur. But when it does, um, we want to make sure that the city is ready to address that. And that's why uh, Mayor Johnson seeked, or sought to, to create this group. We've been mobilized a few times, uh, sadly to say, but uh, we've been there alongside the mayor and the Dallas Police Department and the FBI and neighboring law enforcement offices to, you know, just to make people aware, first and foremost, of what is considered an act of hate versus a hate crime. Unfortunately, acts of hate happen a lot more often than an actual true hate crime. It's actually quite difficult to prove when something is, is, is a hate crime. Dallas is a city that's not gonna tolerate hate in any way, shape, and form. And so when these acts occur, we wanna be ready to address them appropriately. But one of our biggest missions right now is an education and awareness campaign for folks to ident- know what a hate act is or a hate crime is and what to do, how to report that. Are you able to um, kind of tell us the distinction between the two? So, yeah, um, I'm not an expert, but I will try. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I'm not, I I will try. I mean, you know, an act of hate can be somebody yelling a racial slur Mm -hmm. at someone or a derogatory term at someone, but it's no, it's, it's, that's protected, you know, by the First Amendment, you know, it is. Uh, we may not like it, but it's protected. Now, an actual hate crime would be, you know, if, if there was an actual act of violence that occurred or, you know, or a tagging of some sort of a building. No city is free of these types of acts. We just want to make sure that in Dallas, that individuals understand that it's not tolerated. If and when these occur, we're going to hold that individual or individuals accountable for their, for their actions. In light of that, what are some of the challenges of marketing Dallas 
especially, you know, we kind of mentioned some of those things at the legislative level. Uh, I know at one point Dallas was was having a lot of issues with murders of transgender women, especially people of color. Those are things that are blemishes, you know, on the city. And again, like I said, when we hear this overarching political idea of Texas, sometimes that I imagine that makes your job challenging. So, like, what are some of the challenges, and how do you tackle those? It, yeah, absolutely, great point. So it is challenging at times. Whether you know Dallas and Texas sometimes are in the headlines, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad. We as Visit Dallas marketing the city, it can be challenging from a state legislature perspective, meeting planners, and you know just. People from across the country and across the world will react to headlines or what's happening at the state legislature. So just as we did in 2017, you know, to fight the bathroom bill, that was wonderful. That was a great story to tell. But we lost business just because Texas was talking about a bathroom bill. In 2019, the, the strategy then at this legislature was religious refusal. We fought back and, and no bills passed, thankfully. And then, you know, in, in 2021, it was the transgender sports bill for students K through 12. And so, you know, with any of these issues, we as Visit Dallas, we're constantly demonstrating that no matter what happens at the state legislature, Dallas is still going to be a welcoming place and doesn't necessarily reflect what's happening at the state legislature, right? And so we're very proud of everything we have in, in place for Dallas, again, the non-discrimination ordinance the mayor's uh, LGBT task force, now the mayor's anti-hate advisory council. We have an office of welcoming Im- immigrant communities. We have a human rights officer at the city of Dallas. Not sure if anybody knows that. <laughs> Fantastic. She's a wonderful friend of mine. You know, we, again, we have a lot to, to fight back on and to demonstrate that, in, again, no matter what, what is happening in, in the rest of the state, Dallas is still going to be welcoming. Most recently, we were challenged with the Gay Softball World Series. This is a fantastic group. Dallas has, has proudly hosted the Gay Softball World Series several times. The last time was in 2014, and we're very proud to host it once again in August of 2022, this year. And so after the governor's directive, there was some pushback from individuals within this group. And the group that oversees the Gay Softball World Series is the North American Gay Amateur Athletic Alliance. You know, there was some pushback from some, some team members that, you know, because of, of what was coming out of Austin, that they wanted this gay softball world series to move out of out of state and so we were given the opportunity to defend ourselves to demonstrate again you know why 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 they should be here and that no matter where they go within dallas or the metroplex that they're going to be welcome they're going to be celebrated but to your point in in the summer of 2020 in reaction to the murder of george floyd you know there were some demonstrations and some riots that occurred downtown and we we at Visit Dallas got some calls like, is it safe to be there? Yes, of course it's safe to be here. But, you know, we we don't blame people for being for reacting to what they see on the news. Yeah. With just the LGBT community, all these events that you see, like what's the economic impact on Dallas? I it's mean, huge. especially during Pride. Do you have any numbers or, or ballpark numbers of like when we host Pride? I mean, because we have so many people coming in from all these other cities and stuff i mean that's i mean when you talk about food shopping hotels whatever else we spend money on you know it's like flowers it's, yeah it's got to have a huge impact glitter <laughs> you know, on, on dallas really on the state of texas at large because we do have several urban centers yep. when we look at houston and austin san antonio and in dallas you know 
El Paso, maybe, uh, maybe some yeah. of the other ones. Yeah. But, but again, it's like we have we have these areas that are. There's got to be the economic impact. So it doesn't make a lot of logical sense to me that these politicians are continuing attacking those dollars. Yeah. So you ask if we have, if, if I have specific economic impact for the LGBTQ traveler, and so I don't have that. I promise to get it. To, I promise to get it to you. But in in, in total. It's huge. You know, the last recorded year, pre-COVID, 27, almost 28 million people visited Dallas um, in 2019. They're at least spending a dollar. So, you know, that's yeah, $28 um, million dollars right there. <laughs> and I think the economic impact was somewhere about $8 billion wow. to the economy. That's a lot of money. It's sure. a lot of money. And, you know, so when, when groups like Gay Softball World Series, you know, or other groups that they want to take their dollars elsewhere, I mean, this is when we need state leaders to be paying attention because ultimately that affects their residents, no matter where they live in the state. It's unnecessary. You know, a lot of this legislation coming out is just unnecessary. But it just makes you wonder if, the, if they're even aware. You know, and I'm sure that's where your job is when you go down to the legislature is, is putting these numbers in front of people and letting them know. Because we've talked about this previously, but it almost seems like that agenda is just, I don't like you and I want to hurt you. And not not that sense of, Wow, this really impacts my constituents yeah. monetarily. First of all, I love the accent you just put. Thank you. I, I think that was, yeah. uh, I, I don't want to, you know, name anyone. I, but should, I should run for legislature. Could be East Texas saying. somewhere. But, you know, and, and actually, and, and it's, I love that you brought this up because just a couple of days ago, I was meeting with some folks from the arts and cultural community. You know, I was talking about, you know, how we've been speaking with Gay Softball World Series and lots of other groups to the effects of what's happening in the state legislature is having on, on meetings and conventions in town. All of a sudden, I'm hearing from all of these leaders in the arts and culture community that, well, you know, we're, we, we have artists who refuse to come here. We have production folks who refuse to come here because of what's happening in the state. So those are the, th those, that's the data. And those are the stories that we need our state leaders to know and to understand that it's, it, you know, it's, your actions have dire consequences and, and it can affect the state and, and not in a good way. People keep on talking about this miracle, this economic miracle that occurred in Texas. It wasn't a miracle. None of this legislation was in place when, you know, when Texas was really coming up the, the economic ladder. And we're here for a reason, right? I mean, we're, we're, I mean, Texas, it's one of the largest economies in the world. It's larger than most countries. That wasn't a miracle. That, that took a lot of work and was Texas being a welcoming destination. And so, you know, we know that we here in Dallas, along with some of our counterparts in, in, the, in the major metropolitan areas, are going to take it. We're going to keep on fighting back to make sure that, that everyone in Texas feels the benefits that we do here in Dallas. Thank you so much for, for being with us today. Before we go, I always like Coleman to throw a few questions at you to uh -oh. get to know you better. Uh -oh. uh, this is kind of rapid fire response. So I'm going to hand it over to him. What is your favorite place to visit besides Dallas, of course? The P trifecta. So Provincetown, Puerto Vallarta, and Palm Springs. What is your favorite restaurant in Dallas? Oh, Coleman. I know, there's so many, there's so many. Do that. Oh my, did, we have to break this down. Like what kind of food <laughs> are you talking about? We'll all do Tex-Mex. Tipicos on Northwest Highway. Say, say special occasion. What's your favorite special occasion? Got, you just got the promotion. You just got the dating someone special. Where are you taking them? You know, I'm a real big fan right now of Beverly's. Oh yeah, that is that is the hot spot. What is your favorite gay bar? Oh, that's a, that's a loaded <laughs> question. 
Awards. Yeah. Well, first of all, what night of the week are you talking about? Because like every <laughs> night is going out, right? Right. So um, I will say this. Um, you know, anywhere along the strip is amazing, especially on a Sunday. All right. Uh, but I'm also a big fan of Grapevine and uh, Sunday Funday, The Hidden Door. What is your favorite attraction in Dallas? The Dallas Zoo. And what is your favorite thing about Dallas? It's welcoming spirit. Thanks so much for joining us today, for sharing some of the insight. You know, this being Pride Month, we're really excited about celebrating Dallas, celebrating where we are. Tell everybody where they can find you, websites, emails again, social media handles. If someone's interested, what's the best way to get a hold of you? So the best way to get a hold of me or to find anything else about Dallas is to visit our website, visitdallas.com. I'm also the chair of the LGBT Chamber of Commerce, so that will be lgbtchamber.com. I'm also on the board of 24-Hour Dallas, so that would be 24hourdallas.org. Thanks so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed this time. I hope you have too. Thank you. That was a really interesting episode. I, I think there were things that Gary brought up about Visit Dallas that I was not even aware that organization got involved in, especially when it comes to the political and things going on at the legislative level to keep Dallas a welcoming place. Yeah, I think it's really important that we we always highlight organizations that do this, you know, not only for our community, but for our cities, for, for our people. Because yeah, at the end of the day, we're looking at bringing in business and bringing in dollars to Dallas. But what does that look like? It looks like taking care of the people that live here, taking care of the people that want to come here, regardless of what they look like, who they love. So again, I think it's just something to always kind of remind, especially our politicians when they're deciding to make legislation here in Texas. Dallas has always been a very unique place. It's it's my hometown. It's where I've grown up. I left a few times and, and spent, spent some time in other places, lived in, in other places for a bit. But Dallas has always been home. I think Dallas has a lot of hidden gems. Dallas has a lot of uh, excitement. You know, again, we've mentioned this several times in the podcast, but the fact that it is the fifth largest or sixth largest LGBT community in the United States. It's a thriving community. There are a lot of amazing things happening here. And and I think a lot of people who have that negative image of Dallas haven't fully explored it all or seen some of the things that there is to offer. Uh, it is a sprawling metroplex and I guarantee whatever your interest is, you can find it here in our city. Yeah, it's kind of what I always said about Dallas is that, you know, it's not like LA, it's not like New York where things are just on every other corner. Sometimes you got to drive a little bit to get there. But again, there is plenty of stuff to be done, plenty of things to be found um, if you just look little. Dallas has really grown up just, you know, since I've lived here, since I've been gone and come back. I've always been proud of my city. I'm proud of the things that it's been able to accomplish. Well, that's going to do it for us this week on Falling Out. I do want to remind everyone, please be checking at all the Pride activities. There's so many things going on this month that we want you to get involved in, support, be a part of. Pride is an exciting time in Dallas, and we're hoping that we're highlighting some of those things throughout this month so that you can get involved and connected. Remember, you can't stay in the closet when the floor gives way. This is Falling Out.